Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Sarah Devonier, and I'm your host for today, and I'm here talking to Heidi. Hi. <laughs> Heidi, as you think about your childhood, what makes it stand out? How might it be different from other church members' childhoods? Um, well, growing up, I feel like I had a very typical childhood up until I was about 10. You know, I had um, the very traditional nuclear family with mom and dad, and then has four girls. And then when I was 10, my parents got a divorce, um, which is pretty prominent. It's not super unusual. I actually remember when my parents announced they were ha getting a divorce, all of us started crying. My little sister was about, gosh, she was probably six, and we were all crying, and she just looks up and is like, Mom, what is a divorce? So, you know, just kind of a <laughs> wow. funny beginning. But um, besides that, after my parents got a divorce, my dad was still very faithful in the church, actually ended up getting sealed to another woman uh, two and a half years later. She's wonderful. We love her. Um, and then my mom shortly thereafter left the church. And so growing up, having to kind of switch between the households where in one f side of the family, we had a lot of rules, um, you know, mm. had a very strong faith in church, whereas the other side, we didn't. We definitely didn't. You know, we didn't have that strong support from both the parents. So definitely had a choice to make there. So before you were 10, before the divorce, did you feel like you had sort of the beginnings of a testimony before that? I guess probably. I mean, I grew up singing primary songs yeah. and reading scriptures with the family. We had occasional family home evening. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like some people have the gift of faith, and I, I think I might be one of those people where um, definitely had the beginnings, but didn't really develop one, one until a little bit later. So your parents, from what I understand, had joint custody. So did you spend pretty equal amount of time with each parent? So my mom actually actually um, let my dad have most of the custody. So we were with my dad most of the time. At the beginning, it was joint custody. And then in our later years, like my middle school and high school, we were with our dad full time. And then with our mom every Thursday and every other weekend. So that that's pretty interesting that you had the opportunity, if you want to call it that, to look at different lifestyles. As, as you looked at that, what interested you in the church enough when you were with your dad to choose that same lifestyle? Um, that is a really interesting question because you know, I, I grew up, I have three biological sisters, and at some point or another, um, all, all three of them have kind of stepped away from the church. Yeah. Um, and I'm the only one that really didn't. In fact, I remember this time when all four of us were together and trying to decide if we were going to live with our mom full time or going to live with our dad. And I was the only one that felt it was really necessary to stay with my dad because of that strong church pull. And I, I didn't really understand why, but I think that basically I just... I had the beginnings of a testimony and in a family where um, nothing was super stable, I think that that was kind of the one stable thing in my life yeah. that I felt like I needed to hold on to. When would you say you could articulate that that's where it came from? It sounds like it was pretty organic. And like you said, you had the gift of faith. At what point did you start to realize that it was something spiritual that was causing you to gravitate that? In other words, what, at what point did it become a deliberate choice where you recognized what was going on? 
Yeah. Um, let's see. I would say probably, I was probably about 14 or 15. So, you know, before then I did the very typical things, you know, praying, scripture study, hadn't gone to seminary yet. But I do remember this one weekend, um, my mom was living with her boyfriend at the time. And so we went over there for a weekend and it was general conference weekend. And all of my sisters were so excited because we weren't with our dad, so we didn't have to sit down and watch general conference for six hours. Um, but for some reason that weekend, I just felt the need to, I don't know if it was to please my dad. I don't, I don't think it was, but um, just felt the need to watch it. And so I just remember closing myself down in this little room that had a TV in my mom's boyfriend's house and just sitting there alone for three hours or two hours watching the session of conference. And so I think it must have been right around 14 or 15 when um, I realized that that was something that brought me peace and not just because it pleased others, but because it made me happy and it made me feel like I was doing the right thing. Was that difficult for your with your relationship with your mom or with your sisters? And how, if so, how did you deal with that? Yeah, absolutely it was. Um, I think one of the hard things was in high school, you know, growing up in Utah Valley is kind of weird um, <laughs> just because, you know, everybody is supposed to have the same standards technically. And so when I would go to my mom's house and saw my sisters not doing the right things, I um, I mean, I, I wouldn't consider myself like a prude or anything, but I almost felt that way just because all of my sisters were like, oh, come on, Heidi, we need to do this. Or don't worry, we're just going to grab McDonald's on Sunday. And not like those are huge deals, but for me, it really wasn't until I moved out of my home, out of my dad's house to go to college that I realized that um, it was very unchristlike of me to be thinking the way I was towards other wow. people. What a revelation, because I don't, it, you didn't have to come to that point for you to realize self-righteousness is not righteousness at all. Right. How, how do you think you saw that? That's, that's pretty mature to recognize that right out of high school. Um, out of high school, I think I saw that mainly when I was trying to make my own my own decisions and choices and stuff. You know, I would do things where it wouldn't necessarily be against my parents or anything. Like I started dating this guy that hadn't gone on his mission yet, and I hadn't gone on my mission yet. And my parents always um, told me, "Don't date a person that hasn't gone on their mission yet, or at least don't study date them." You know? Yeah. And to me, it was like, well hold on, like I thought my dad and mom were always right, or I thought my dad was always right because he was the one that was on the straight and narrow. <laughs> but uh, no, it was kind of at that point where I'm like, one side or another doesn't have to always be right. right. You know, there's there's good to both sides. And whereas my dad was, um, you know, a little bit on the side where maybe you shouldn't be doing that. My mom said, go, you know, do your own thing. And to me, that was kind of a revelation that's like, okay, my mom is being really supportive in this, whereas my dad kind of wants me to do what he thinks is right. And um, I guess that's kind of where it stemmed from, is just realizing that there's good on both sides. Well, and it sounds like it might have actually been a good thing for you, for you to have two very different parenting styles available for you. Yeah. <laughs> so... Why do you think, and, and this is more of a sort of philosophical question, because basically what you're saying is, I needed to learn to make decisions for myself and to stop assuming there was one right way. Yeah. 
so why do you think that's so healthy to, to be able to do that just in, for you and in general to be able to, to accept that there might be goodness in a variety of places and it's okay if you find it on your own, that God actually might encourage that. Yeah. Um, one thing that I have felt ever since kind of that time period or especially in the past two or three years is that it's healthy and it's very normal to be confused and I think that it's healthy to question things sometimes. You know, I think that you should have a few definites. I think that you need to have those anchors of faith in some places. Yeah. Um, but it's okay to be confused. And I think that for me personally, it has helped me tremendously because then I don't feel stuck. You know, because um, I know that we have talked about like cognitive dissonance. Yeah. You know, in my classes and stuff like that. And for me, that was huge growing up because you're always going to meet things that challenge the way you think. And if you don't feel like moving, then you're just stubborn and ignoring half of the truth. You know, I, I believe that our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is one that encompasses all truth. And I think that if you're choosing to ignore something because it doesn't fall into your paradigm, then you're taking a huge loss. Yeah. So uh, you decided to serve a mission... And when you were on your mission, how did this philosophy of being more accepting, choosing for yourself, how did that help you as a missionary? Yeah. So talk about where you served, first of all, and then how that helped you on your mission. Absolutely. So I served in Thailand. I served in the Thailand-Bangkok mission where, um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but it's the highest percentage of Buddhist people of any country. You know, it had, I think it was like a 95% Buddhist country, mm-hmm. which was so wild for me, but so amazing. I loved the culture there. Um, but that was something that I needed to learn. You know, there were several missionaries in my mission that would go in and like wouldn't even want to visit the beautiful Buddhist temples that were there, this incredible architecture, because they're like, oh, it's Buddhism. Like, that's wrong. We can't, we can't go visit that. And for me, it was about acceptance. It was about, we need to learn their culture and we need to learn the good in their culture. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not because um, Buddhism as a philosophy or as a religion is wrong necessarily. They have great and amazing things that I think God bestowed on them. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but for me, it was acknowledging that we have all the correct doctrines, but that doesn't mean that we are the only ones that can teach people things. Yeah, so on your mission, was there a time when things were difficult, when you had to remember that? Can you think of a time? Yeah. Um, there were several times when we would go out and um, it'd be so funny. We'd be tracting or, you know, inviting on the street is what we called it. And mm-hmm. we'd go up to people with a picture of Jesus Christ. And it's like, do you want to learn about Christ? And everybody said the same thing. They all said, They're like, every religion teaches people to be good. And it was true. And for a while there, um, for at least a couple of weeks, every morning my morning scripture study, I'm like, well, I mean, they've got a point. Like <laughs> every yeah. religion does teach you to be good. And so I think that was where I needed to know that religion was more than just teaching you how to be good. It was um, teaching what's correct you know, but also being as Christ-like as you can. Yeah, that 
first of all, learn how to be good right. <laughs> and be loving. Right. Because that's the first and great commandment. I mean, they were right in that yeah. way. Um, Absolutely. But if you're judging other people or not being willing to learn from them. Right. Is that Christ-like? No. Yeah. Yeah. So now in your family, I mean, it's, it's nice to talk about not thinking in binaries and being open-minded. How do you approach your siblings or other members of your family in a way where you make sure you're loving and accepting and not judgmental? Um, that is a really good question. I, so first of all, just this little story. So got back from my mission in Thailand. I lived with my dad in Hawaii for a couple of weeks and then went to Utah to stay with my mom for a week before I came up here to BYU-Idaho. Mm-hmm. And my mom volunteered to drive me the eight hours from St. George to Rexburg, um, which was so fun. I was so happy about it. But I remember after about an hour driving in the car together, she just kind of looked at me and was like, you know, I was really nervous to, to drive with you. And I was really nervous to come up here with you because I was worried on your mission that you, um, I don't know, I, I guess just wouldn't accept my beliefs or wouldn't accept what I've been doing with my life, you know, because she hasn't been an active member. And that was really hard for me to hear. Um, and I mean, we talked, we, we had an amazing conversation on that car ride, just about the church in general and why I do the things I do. And she's really happy living her life. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy about it. And I think that she's living the best life she can right now. But as far as like with my siblings go, um, that conversation just kind of echoes in my mind, I guess. Mm. And for me, you can't help somebody unless you love them first. And it, it's hard for, unless they feel you love them, you know, because you can say that you love them all you want, but unless they feel it, you're not going to be able to help them. And so for me, that's been one of the major goals that I've had is just to maintain a good relationship with my siblings, no matter what they do. And no matter how far I think that they have, you know, strayed away from the church, um, they're living their lives and we're all kind of on a path to um, finding out what's true in our lives and who am I to judge where they're at. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's, it's my decision to love and it's God's decision or it's God's choice to judge. And yeah, that's beautiful. So I know that you just got married. So as you look towards having your own family, how do you think you'll approach this philosophy? How, how can you teach your kids to look for truth and yet still be open-minded, make sure that you're all making your own choices, but that, that you're looking for cho- truth in a loving way. I mean, I, th- I think that's a hard thing to navigate. Yeah. And honestly, I think it's something everybody needs to find out on, them, on their own. You know, it's nothing that can really be taught, but I think one way that me and my husband plan to influence it is... You know, we've been really blessed with having a diverse family in terms of religious thoughts, Yeah. you know, with his siblings or with my siblings and mom. Um, I think one thing that we are planning on doing for sure is is setting this religious precedent in our home where we are open with each other. We want to converse with each other, um, but also not hiding the bad things from them, you know, like you know, going to my mom's house in the future, she's probably going to smoke sometimes because she does that, or she'll probably have some alcohol in her cupboard. Um, And that's okay for her. But 
I think that it's important to expose my kids enough to that so that they know about it and they're not absolutely blindsided by it when they go to middle school or high school or whatever, but also to know that they have somebody that they can talk to is the biggest thing for me, I think. Yeah, so that, so that they can talk to you about anything, whatever they choose. Yeah, about anything at all. Yeah. That's, that's what I want. That's something that I think I got a taste of when I was growing up, but um, I relied a lot on my siblings for that. And, and of course, this is the ideal. I don't know how it's actually going to be. <laughs> we don't have any kids, but I would absolutely love it if in the future my kids were to be able to come to me and ask questions, you know, and not feel bad about asking questions, right. not feel like they're doing something wrong. So this idea of, because you sort of, circumstances sort of forced you to ask questions. So why would you encourage your children to ask questions? Some people might be scared of that. Why, why would you encourage that? Yeah. Um, I learned a lot about this from my husband, actually. He grew up in this tiny town. I think the population now is like 700 something. Right. Um, I think he graduated in class of 28 and it's predominantly Christian there, or um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And for him, he felt really stuck, like anybody that didn't fit into the mold there didn't really get to fit in at all. Right. You know, and... For him, that was really detrimental. and So he grew up thinking that's how it should be, just very black and white. Yeah, and, and I think that as he got into high school, he learned that that was wrong. And um, especially with his family, his family didn't necessarily fit into the mold since they weren't farmers or, you know, <laughs> they, they called them like transplants or whatever. They, <laughs> yeah. they had been there for 12 years at, at that, or when my husband got into high school. Um, but they still, were they new. didn't belong, yeah. right? <laughs> right? They were still new. And for them, it was, you know, because they were in such a small town learning, growing up in the church, for them, it was, if you have a question, just forget about it. Like, just have faith. Right. Is basically how he saw it, you know? And I don't know if that's kind of what they taught, but... At least that's what he had absorbed. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, that was harmful kind of for his sister you know his sister has stepped away from the church and is working on finding out what she believes is truth but for Mm. me that just kind of showcases how important asking questions is and and finding answers for yourself because if you ask a question and all you get is just have faith you know it's it's going to be hard because faith doesn't come naturally for some people and even for those to whom it does come naturally Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes you need that scripture study and you need to find out for yourself and you need those spiritual confirmations. And if your kids come to you with difficult questions you don't have an answer to, then what? (laughs) Then I guess we're learning together, you know? (laughs) Like I'm not going to know everything. I don't know everything and (laughs) won't until after this life. But, um, you know, we're learning together. And is that how your husband has dealt with his siblings to realize they're learning together? Yeah, he has um, strengthened his relationship with his brother and sister tremendously ever since he's gotten out of high school because he's more accepting of how they So think. He, he strengthened the relationship in a loving way when he's let go of the absolutes he grew up with. Yeah. Ironically, thinking that 
members of ch- the church were supposed to act that way. Yeah. How was he able to do that, to remove himself from this assumption that members of the church only accept this kind of behavior? How was he able to do that? I think that's difficult. I, it absolutely is difficult. And I think the only reason he's been able to is because he's seen how harmful it is for some people. Yeah. You know, I think that a lot of people don't see how their actions or how they respond to questions can affect other people's testimonies. Mm. Because for them, it could just be, oh, some girl asked me a question and I didn't know the answer, so I told her to have faith. But for this (laughs) one person, it could be groundbreaking and just world-shaking. You know, it could be um, the biggest thing to them Mm. that they couldn't get an answer or at least one that they were looking for. And I think for him, seeing the people that he loved having to go through that, he understood what they needed and was able to kind of discern that um, not everybody can just take, oh yeah, have faith as an answer. Or to assume that there's something wrong with them right? if they don't have faith. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot easier to understand that when it's somebody that you love going through that. Mm, yeah. You know, for me, or um, I guess like as a parent, I'm sure you would understand this too, where if one of your kids does something wrong, you wouldn't just be like, oh, they're wrong, they're a bad person. You know, you already have this precedent of love set for them. And so no matter what they do, you're going to show them love. You know, and I know that you're that kind of person that would do that because, I mean, you've shown so much love for me already and I'm not (laughs) even your child. (laughs) But, But I think that that's kind of the most important central thing is having love for somebody first, you know, because then their question isn't just another question. It's something that could alter the course of their life. Yeah, I love that. A question is never a question if it's connected to the heart of someone you love. And a doubt is never just a doubt if it's connected to someone that you love. And I, and I, I love that. Thank thank you for sharing those beautiful things and for being that kind of a person. I appreciate you. I try to be. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) 